Hi, and welcome to SCL, the Subject Composition and Light Photography Podcast. My name is Rob from RobNoFoto.com, and um, it's the 8th of February 2015. How is everybody? Hope you've been out and maybe taken a few photographs, photographs, photographs <laughs> over the last couple of weeks. I've um, I've actually not taken that many. I've been uh, I've had a, actually had a tattoos a week holiday this week, um, but the weather's been really crappy here in Gosport in the UK. Very ass rain. We even had a bit of snow this week as well. It didn't last though. It stayed on the ground for about half an hour. By the time I got in the car and went down to take some photographs, it all melted. So it's a bit disappointing. But I have been recording an awful lot of videos for YouTube. Um, really concentrating on trying to get some content up on there because it's kind of one of the best ways I found of getting gear off suppliers when I uh, can show them lots of views on on YouTube and uh, subscribers and things they seem to like that and like to send me stuff so I've got my eye on I really want to get some uh, some review lenses or something like that from like Tamron or Sigma this year to really try out some some 2.8 pro glass um, and I find that uh, lots of YouTube views can definitely help. One of the things I did recently as well was a review for the SJ4000 action cam that I got just before Christmas. I know I've talked about it on the podcast before. Kind of pulling everything together and kind of my thoughts on it. Um, and the SJ4000 is is a, is a um, GoPro clone. Um, and I guess my, my kind of bottom line with it was... If you're thinking about getting a GoPro, don't <laughs> get an SJ4000 Wi-Fi instead. Because for the money, the value for money is is fantastic. You can pick up an SJ4000 Wi-Fi for about seventy pounds British on on eBay, and for that you get a tiny little video camera that's the same size. Well, it's about the same size as a GoPro. the the The, the camera itself is physically a different size to a GoPro. But the mounts that you can use are all exactly the same. And it comes with almost well, a load of accessories. The waterproof case, clips, brackets, tripod adapters. Almost everything you could need. Where these are always extras on GoPros. And it has not only a little screen on the back for basic composition and reviewing and changing the settings. But it also has Wi-Fi so you can connect it to your phone. To then use your phone for composition. Which is amazing because... The reason I wanted and something like an SJ4000 and, and a GoPro was as a, a a little video camera that I could take with me outside when I'm doing sort of photo walks, so I can video myself basically doing that, you know, doing field trials and trials and things like that for a third person view, um, and for pieces to camera as well. Because although I use my phone a lot for that, my HTC One Max is a great video camera on it, but um, I'm always a bit nervous about dropping it when I'm using it or um, the, the 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 screen side camera is terrible for um, losing lip sync if the light changes if for some reason it just loses lip sync and it's a real pain in the bottom to to adjust it so I wanted something a little bit rougher a little bit tougher with better quality but because I'm making videos I wanted to be able to compose things you know if I put it on the ground or up a, a tree looking down at me. Um, I need to be able to check the composition, and obviously, if there's even though there's a screen on the back, the ability to have Wi-Fi to connect to the phone to check the composition is really important, and that's what it's great for. Really, really good for that. The 
1080p 30 frames a second video is 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 good and on a sunny day it looks very good indeed i think it even looks better than the 1080p footage out of my canon 600d 23i um so if you're after a 1080p 30 frames a second video camera a small one you can't go wrong um on the negative side of it it doesn't do slow motion video it doesn't do 720 um, 60 frames a second like they advertise it all it does is it doubles up the frame rate so that's that's no good the stills quality is pretty basic as well um, you're looking at about 2 megapixels is the, the size of the stills it can take 12 megapixel photos but they're the same detail it just kind of adds more um, pixels but you, you don't gain anything but it does have some really cool things as well like motion detection so you can use it for, like as a wildlife camera you can set up in the garden put some bread or something like that in front of it this is what i did and some pigeons that came into the garden and then it turns itself on when they're in front so that's really good um what else does it do um lots of other things i can't, which I can't remember off the top of my head but if you need a 1080p gopro type camera get an sj4000 wi-fi they're a lot cheaper it comes with basically almost the, all the brackets you'll need and then if for some time you think actually you want the better quality, the better white balance, for example, of a GoPro, because the SJ4000 is a little bit blue, um, then you you know spend the three or four times the amount you need for it. But overall, SJ4000, no-brainer. If you think you might need it, you know just blow the money on it and uh, you won't go wrong. I also did a review of a really old GPS device that I picked up at a car boot. I think last year, it might have been the year before, a Garmin Etrex Vista, which is a handheld hiking GPS. Um, and I wanted to just talk about it because if you're the type of person who likes going out into the woods or into the wilderness or up mountains and things like that, I think it's really important to have some sort of backup GPS device with you to get you home and not just rely on your phone. Because the problem with phones is they can go flat, you can drop them and they break. Um, generally, they're not waterproof. And so they're not because they're not designed as a hiking device. Um, but this Garmin Etrex, even though I think it must be ten years old, and it takes forever to get a GPS lock when you first turn it on if you haven't used it for a while, it's solid. It's waterproof. You can fully submerge it. It runs off a couple of AA batteries. It has the most basic. You can't even call it a map. It just has a picture of the UK with some towns on it. But what you can do is when you get somewhere and you park up or wherever, you can say right start recording a track log and it will create an electronic breadcrumb trail so as you're wandering around to find your way back to your car you can just say right follow follow the back and then you just follow follow the arrow back or you can make waypoints as you go along as well really basic but its basicness is its strength because that means that there's very little to go wrong it's very easy to use and it's almost impossible to break so i wouldn't say go out and buy a Garmin Etrex Vista because they're actually quite expensive second hand. If you're thinking about buying one, I would spend a little bit of money, spend like 100, 120 pounds to get one of the new Garmin Etrexes because they've got base maps on and all the latest functions and USB capability where the older ones don't. But if you've got an old one hanging around or know somebody who's got an old one who can't use it, you know, drop them 10 or 20 quid, have some fresh batteries, have a practice with one to get to know how to use it and then take it with you. If you go anywhere where there's a chance you might get lost. Cities, you tend to be pretty okay with it. You can ask for directions, can't you? Um, 
but you know if it's in the woods or any sort of wilderness situation where you might get get lost then it could well save your life um right other people to look out for on the internet especially youtube if you haven't already check out chelsea and tony northrup on youtube let me go over to youtube now my laptop and we can have a look what are they called I they've got in fact well if you just do a search on youtube for tony northrup that's n-o-r-t-h-r-u-p they have this great youtube channel where they review things um tony is like the straight guy um, very scientific in the way he tests things. If you want an honest opinion about something, watch his videos. He he uses the scientific method to have a look at things. You know, say he's testing a camera to look at the noise, to look at the lens. He compares things. Very, very good advice. Um, and the funny bit is Chelsea, his missus, who's, who's, who's like the comic relief. But she's got some very good opinions too. And every Thursday night at... It's 10 o'clock at the moment, um, UK time, because we're in winter daylight savings, aren't we? Um, they have a live show, which you know, is really good to watch. It's really fun, and people submit photos. And this week they had a theme, and the theme was levitation, because they'd done a video recently on how to create levitating photographs. You know the one where somebody's floating in the midair? So I had a quick go in the afternoon. What I did was I just did a shot of me... Uh, with my, my hand held out trying to look like a wizard with a trip 35 kind of floating in midair um because one thing I, I did a few of these a while ago and the thing about them is if you ever want to create that sort of photograph where you've got an object floating in the air or even yourself but the objects floating is always easier they are it takes you two minutes in photoshop to do that bit it's so quick everything is in the preparation so what you've got to do is if you fancy doing something like that is you've got to have your camera on a tripod you really want to be in a controlled lighting situation if you can so inside um, and then you turn everything to manual so manual focus manual uh, manual mode uh, for exposure so you've got fixed aperture fixture speed uh, manual white balance or, or fixed white balance like I don't know um, something like um, uh, tungsten or uh, fluorescent or or shady but you know not auto um put a flash on if you need to flash is always good if you're inside because it'd be a bit dark you don't want too long a shutter speed and set that to manual as well so everything is manual you you focus on the same point and then as if everything's manual and everything's locked so the two photos will be identical in terms of the depth of field and the lot the lighting it's dead simple and all you do then you just take two photos so the example from my one in the first photo i'm standing there looking like a wizard with my hand open and in the second photo i'm just dangling the trip 35 on its little strap um, in the same plane of focus as my hand but above it because what's very important if you want this to be easy don't have any overlap of the two things in the photo so no overlap in my case between my hand and the camera that's very very important if you've got overlap things become tricky because you've got to be a much you've got to be careful with your with your selection when you're blending everything in but as long as there's no overlap and you've got the lighting correct all you do is you go into photoshop and you put um you you, you copy both uh, pictures into photoshop so they're on top of each other in the layer stack i tend to have the camera one on the top and then you just add a layer mask to the to the photo, invert the layer mask, control I to make it go black, then you just take a white um 
No, you don't. You don't invert it first. You leave it white and you take a black uh, paintbrush and you just paint over the camera really roughly. It doesn't need to be accurate at all. In fact, you don't want to just paint over the edge of the camera. You want to paint over the camera and some of the background as well. Um, and the camera will disappear in front of you and then you hit control i that inverts the mask the camera will um, appear again and you'll have a perfectly composed and a perfectly uh, compositive shot and because the two things there's there's no overlap between them the separation between the camera and the hand there is no hard line you know at the edge that you've got to try and copy because you can just use a soft edge brush and it looks amazing i'll do another one soon i'll do a cloning one where it'll be a room with several versions of me in it and i'll show you again how easy it is the tr and the trick always is to have no overlap between the me's if you like there's got to be a little bit of separation between each one so you can see the background so there we go videos for youtube gosh i've been doing a lot haven't i now i've had some questions as well come through i do get a lot of questions um but some of them that i think are um well, they're all worthwhile, but some are worth sharing. So one came from Gary, and Gary said, Hi, Rob. Love your YouTube videos. Excellent. That's always nice to hear. Could you please help me with some advice? I'm looking at changing my Canon 100D to the Canon 6D, which is their full-frame model, isn't it? What are your thoughts about the 6D? Especially autofocus on this camera, as it only has one cross-type. And secondly, I'm not sure whether to buy either the Canon 7200 f2.8 IS2 or the Tamron equivalent? Is the price difference justified between the two? I'll be using the new gear for some sideline work, i.e. portraits and maybe some parties. Would really appreciate your advice. Well, Gary, I'm glad you like the videos. I really enjoy doing them and it's great to hear other people enjoy them. Um, and I hope you listen to the podcast because uh, that's the one I've been doing the longest. And um, I guess secretly that's the one I enjoy the most as well because it's I can just start up and start recording. But it's a great question about the 6D versus the 100D, so crop versus full frame. And I guess the biggest thing, it depends on what type of photography you're doing. Um, a full frame camera like the 6D will give you the best quality and a narrower depth of field, but obviously you have to use the EF full frame lenses. But if you're doing sports or wildlife, then the autofocus maybe isn't the best for those. And again, for sports and wildlife, often crop sensors are better because this, in, with the same lens you get further into the scene because it's only used in the middle of the camera. Um, but obviously if, if you're mainly just doing portraits and street photography, um, the 6D would be a great camera because you're going to get fantastic image quality. However, one thing that I always say is that Whenever you're thinking about a new camera body, you read reviews and people say, oh, yes, this is much better than the previous model. Um, and, it, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's a better camera. But if you go to, like, DP review and then look back at older cameras, um, say, like, my Canon 350D or the Canon 40D or the Nikon D40 or the Nikon D60 or the Nikon D90, any of the older cameras, they don't really... They don't change the reviews, I don't think. It always stays the same. And if a camera was really good five years ago, taking really nice photos, well, it still takes really nice photos now. And what I found is that if you go into a DP review, you can download the full resolution examples for, for both cameras and just compare them. 
you know look at the sky look in the shadows is there that much difference in the detail you get or the lack of noise or the improvements in quality it, you know because one of the things I noticed when I upgraded from my 350D to the 600D, which is, what's that? So there's a 350D to the 400D, 450, 500, 550. So it's five generations of camera later. There wasn't, apart from the fact there's more pixels in the photos, the photos are much bigger. In terms of absolute quality, in terms of noise, yeah, the 600D is better, but it's not miles better than the 350D. On a sunny day, out and about, the 350D takes great photos. You know, um, and so I'd say bear that in mind. If you're going to be spending an awful lot of money to upgrade your body, and the 100D is a great little camera, you know, really have a look at those uh, example shots and see is there that really big difference, or are you better off sticking with what you've got and spending the money somewhere else, like on lenses? But even with lenses, I would also always say, look at the examples. Are they really that much better? Flickr's a great place for this. You know, you can just put in 70 to 200, um, 2.8 Canon, and there'll be a whole group full of hundreds and hundreds of photos using that lens. So go in and look at them and um, and see, are they much better than what you've got? Um, someone who's really good at um, doing reviews as well, especially on lenses, Tony Northrup. Um, I mentioned it before again he goes into lots of detail you know zooming in and cropping and he'll give you a really good idea and he's got some great ideas he's a bit of a pixel peeper um, but you know heed what he says when it comes to spending money on glass not camera bodies um, he's a bit of a full frame man our Tony and he does like to zoom in past 100% you know to really zoom in to point out the difference but and you've got to ask yourself would you be doing that in real life but I guess if you ask me, would I upgrade from my 600D to a full-frame camera like the 60? I'd have to say, you know, no way, not at the moment. I don't have the budget to replace all my EFS lenses. Um, but I also like the small phone factor of crop sensor bodies. I like a small camera. I think the next things I would probably be spending money on would be, if I had it, would be something like the Canon 10 to 18 super wide and a quality portrait lens like the 85 1.8. Um, if I was into wildlife or sports, I would get these, you know, I mean, this is pipe dreams, but the 400mm 5.6 Prime, um, because um, that is, offers apparently amazing image quality for the money. Um, but, you know, this that could be years off. But I think if I'm thinking about what, Chris, what Christmas present would I want for 2015, I think it would be, I don't know, I, I think the 85.18 would be an amazing lens. Um, but then again, I do have that focal length already, so it might even be the 10 to 18. Um, but then again, if money was no object, and I mainly did portrait and landscape photography, I'd go full frame tomorrow. You know, I'd get a 5D Mark um, III. In fact, one of the things I look out for on Gumtree quite a lot is old 5D Mark Ones going cheap. Because um, I've kind of got this idea of doing reviews of older cameras you know the 5d mark one when it came out in fact i tell you what i'm going to look right now on dp review dp review 5d mark one review let's see what score dp review gave it back in the day so they did a review of the canon eos 5d in 2005 so it's 10 years old it was what it was it the first full frame camera that canon did um, 12.8 megapixels I don't know 
um, but it came out 10 years ago. What's their conclusion? Their conclusion on the iOS 5D was it was highly recommended. They said a lower price for from DSLR was logical. It costs less than $4,000 and you can pick them up now for about £300. Um, was introduced to a fairly rapturous reception among existing Canon owners and here on DP Review as well. The 5D is a fantastic photographic tool which is capable of producing excellent results. We found resolution to be absolutely excellent with crisp details results straight from the camera and even more detailed available if you shoot raw. Different looks can be, can be blah, 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 blah. Yeah, there we go. So, so you know, so 10 years ago, they said it was an excellent camera. So it still is an excellent camera. So anyway, so back to your question, though. <laughs> um, the Canon 7200 2.8 IS is incredibly expensive. I mean, we're talking crazy money, the new ones. And the second-hand ones hold their value very well as well. So I would probably look at the Tamron and Sigma alternatives because... Again, it, Tony Northrup's done some reviews of those lenses, and, and the kind of the, the conclusion that comes out of them is that the Canon, the Ta Tamron, and the Sigma, there's there's just a hair's breadth difference in terms of sharpness, if any, and any differences can be uh, overcome simply by getting slightly closer to your subject. And also, and it's mainly a difference of build quality. You know, the, the Canon 7200 is really expensive because it's built like a tank. You can drop it, you can go out in the rain with it and all this sort of stuff. And maybe you can't quite as much with the Tamron and the Sigma, but image quality, you don't suffer at all. So hopefully I've answered your question there. Um, so there we go. Right. I think that's enough for this week. Um, thanks again for for listening if you've got any questions please send them to me scalespeeder at gmail.com if you haven't already head over to the Flickr group join there i will be doing a new um assignment soon mirroring the 2015 amateur photographer of the year competition and uh, also go on over to youtube and check out scalespeeder's channels just search for rob nunn and you double n on uh, on youtube and you'll find my stuff um Thanks for commenting on robnaphoto.com. But most of all, I'd like to thank you for downloading and listening to the podcast. My name's Rob. Hopefully, pretty soon, I'll see you on Flickr.